Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota is hosting the 2024 Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament. The flu and COVID season is upon us. But first... Prosecutors have charged a Minnesota State Trooper, 27-year-old Ryan Londrigan, with second-degree unintentional murder, first-degree assault, and manslaughter in the death of Ricky Cobb II, who was fatally shot as he began to drive away during a traffic stop on Interstate 94 in North Minneapolis last July 31st. Hennepin County Attorney Mary Moriarty says... Ricky Cobb II should be alive today. Moriarty explains why the charges were filed. What we focused on is the training that the state troopers received. The training that the state troopers received was about making decisions when there's a traffic stop. They are not allowed to shoot at a car which is driving away. They're not allowed to shoot someone to prevent the car from driving away. They are only allowed to use deadly force if it will prevent great bodily harm or death to their partner or somebody else. So we focused on the training that they received. And they also, as I said, received training that shooting someone, in fact, my understanding is they have a video that they show that someone who was shot in the head continued to drive away. So the training that they received, very extensive training by the state patrol, was that shooting someone was not likely to cause the person to stop driving. So shooting someone was not a, an appropriate or necessary use of deadly force in this situation. The family of Ricky Cobb II spoke out in support of murder charges. Cobb's twin brother, Rashad, is calling for justice to be served. We're not asking for the world. We're just asking for what's righteously ours. That's right. When we think of situations like this, it's a problem for our country. And once we come together and figure this out, this is where it starts in Minnesota again. Cobb's mother, Naira Miller, says she isn't going anywhere and is in it for as long as it takes to get justice for her son. I stand in solidarity and for justice for my son. I stand as solid as a rock. I'm not to be moved easily. Meanwhile, the attorney representing Trooper Londrigan has filed several motions asking to dismiss the charges against his client, Attorney Chris Maddell. This county attorney has provided sweetheart deals to murderers and kidnappers, and now she charges a hero. This county attorney is literally out of control. Open season on law enforcement must end, and it's going to end with this case. Maddell also argues that Hennepin County Attorney Mary Moriarty abused the grand jury process by convening a grand jury for fact-finding purposes, although it did not return an indictment. Moriarty's office confirmed a grand jury was convened to investigate the case, but jurors were never asked to make a charging decision. Leaders of Minnesota's law enforcement community strongly support Trooper Londrigan and have harsh words about the murder charges. Eminence Bill Werner talked with Imran Ali, general counsel for the Minnesota Police and Peace Officers Association, who says Hennepin County Attorney Mary Moriarty. She's got a history and a tie uh, and ties to these groups and individuals uh, that are police abolitionists, defund the police movement, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and now she's put in a position where she's elected uh, duly by the citizens of, of Hennepin County, and she's now executing 
based on an ideology campaign uh, promise, uh, but there's little regard to the law. What she, she has highlighted in her remarks was that uh, the trooper involved um, didn't follow, or the troopers really didn't follow their training in terms of uh, how to extract a person from a vehicle under these circumstances, and that um, shooting a person or shooting at them uh, would not deter them from, from driving away. What do you say to that? Uh, I think she's wrong. I think that when you look at these cases, you have to look at them under the standard that's prescribed by the law. And that is that an officer has to make a decision of force if it's reasonable, objectively reasonable, based on the totality of circumstances known to the officer at that time. And so we just can't look at one specific training or lack thereof or one specific policy. You have to look at these cases specifically in these sets of facts, and you have to do it in accordance with the law. The application of that to this particular case, you believe that the officer um, acted properly, I assume. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Why in this particular case? This was a situation in which you had two troopers, one of them using force in this case. Um, you had lawful commands. You had a lawful, first of all, you had a lawful stop. Uh, then you had a lawful arrest, and then you had lawful commands, multiple commands uh, that were given uh, to the individual in this case. The individual didn't comply, and we had a situation where we had an officer, and both of them actually, both troopers were dragged. Uh, both of them suffered some sort of harm, and one of them used force. And so we look at it in that situation, in that particular situation, should the officer or were they authorized to use deadly force? And again, uh, the answer is, as tragic as it is, is still is yes, because this case could have been different. There are cases out of Virginia and Georgia just in the last couple of years where we've had officers that have been dragged after a lawful stop that have died in the line of duty, have died. We could have had both troopers in this case deceased. More Minnesota Matters after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car. Which, if you're buzzed, could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Tasha Radel. With second-degree unintentional murder charges filed against State Trooper Ryan Londrigan in the shooting death of Ricky Cobb II, the question now on many Minnesotans' minds is, can prosecutors get a conviction? MNN's Bill Werner talked with Hamlin University legal expert David Schultz about that. It's hard, David, not to draw a parallel to George Floyd and Derek Chauvin. Uh, because yeah. the, the charges were the same, right? Second-degree murder charges, and there were, there were others, but that, that was the key one. And prosecutors got a conviction on that one. Um, how is this case different, and what would you assess their chances of getting a conviction on this? 
Well, this one's very different in the sense that with Derek Chauvin, one could at least argue that he had um, nine minutes and 29 seconds to realize what he was doing was wrong, um, or arguably two minutes after George Floyd lost consciousness to realize what he was doing is wrong. And what I'm getting at here is that is that the Derek Chauvin was in complete control of the situation that he had and, and made, I would argue, a deliberative choice to say, I'm going to keep the knee on, on George Floyd's neck even after it was no longer necessary, if at all was ever necessary, um, to restrain him. And, and, and that's a big difference from this case here where we're looking at a, uh, a, an instantaneous decision that has to be made, a judgment call. And these are hard cases to win, or traditionally, because what the constitutional framework is to say is that officers generally have immunity for the use of force when they acted in a way that a reasonable officer would have acted in that situation. And the law generally says that we can't second-guess an officer with 20-20 hindsight and say, oh, now on, on reflection, I would have done X, Y, and Z. So what's going to have to happen here is there's going to have to be experts who are going to come in to say that faced with that choice that he had to make at this second, he acted inappropriately. Not impossible to get a conviction. Uh, clearly, the law is shifting since George Floyd. But traditionally, this could be a hard case to actually get a conviction on. The heart of the criminal complaint against the trooper is the, the last couple of paragraphs of the criminal complaint, which talk about training. And County Attorney Moriarty said uh, that these troopers did not follow their training, um, which specifically emphasized to them that shooting a person who's driving away usually doesn't stop them from continuing to drive away. Um, and th that's one issue. But the question is, if they're successful in making that argument, is that enough legally to get a second-degree murder conviction? It's still not clear if it is. It's possible. Mm -hmm. it, it's yeah. possible, mm -hmm. but, but not clear, because if you can show that, that they disregard standard operating procedure, that certainly is an important material fact. Mm -hmm. But you're going to still have to show at that point the other elements, you know, for second degree murder or whatever he's being charged with here. You're going to still have to show intentionality, some level of intentionality or, or state of mind to be able to achieve the, uh, the conviction. Because no one's going to dispute the factual issue that, that he killed him. And, and so we're not even debating the question of what were the facts in the matter. The question is, can you establish the appropriate state of mind of, of the state trooper? And maybe, maybe you can do that in part by bringing in the disregard for the training procedure. But the, that's only going to be part of it. It's only going to be part of the question. Is, is there show. intent beyond that? Right. I mean, yes. in other words, is, is, was there, I suppose, if it could be proven that there were deliberate intent, if you could somehow get inside the trooper's mind and prove uh, that that he uh, said, no, I'm going to disregard this, right, as opposed mm -hmm. to just a um, almost an instinctive reaction to a situation, right? Uh, that, mm -hmm. that there would be mm -hmm. a, a, a much of a difference there in terms of how it might play out in a conviction on a murder charge, I would assume. Oh, yeah, especially on a murder charge right. where, where you have a much higher standard of intentionality or state of mind. That's even a harder showing. Uh, if you were talking about manslaughters or negligent manslaughter, um, we might have a different discussion here. But once you start to get into 
into second you know degree murder type of charges you the state of mind is more than just simply negligence or i i i made a mistake or i i didn't do something i was supposed to do and so i'll be curious to see with the county attorney what else they have to supplement because this alone as a matter of law may not be enough to be able to get a conviction i want to ask you david about the politics of this um, and we know what the political situation has been since George Floyd and all these right. kinds of incidents, and there have been various police-involved sure. shootings, as they are termed, officers shooting suspects. Right. Um, it, it, is, it, is it necessary, almost, from a political standpoint, for a prosecutor, say, in a county like Hennepin, to, to at least try to get a second-degree murder conviction? I think you have to at this point. I think the politics have shifted, and especially with the current county attorney, you know, who who really campaigned on the pledge of of addressing um, police misuse of authority. Um, I think she's almost compelled to have to now um, go go for um, the indictment um, and throw it to a jury. I mean, think about it. Freeman, who was the previous um, county attorney, was heavily criticized for what he oftentimes said, as prosecutors normally do, that I'm not going to bring a case unless I think I can win it, and was heavily criticized for not bringing more cases against police officers. I think Moriarty now um, is probably, between her campaign rhetoric and the politics of Hennepin County, is forced now to say, when in doubt, you bring the indictment and let a jury make the final decision. That is Hamlin University legal expert David Schultz. Tasha? Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. Tis the season of flu, COVID, and RSV. Joining me today with an update on what we're seeing so far this season is Minnesota Department of Health Commissioner Brooke Cunningham. Yes, thank you. We we do, Tasha, now talk more about, you know, pan-respiratory um, season with COVID, influenza, and RSV. And at the Department of Health, our epidemiologists monitor all three of those, but also uh, the three in combination quite quite closely. Um, and, and while there have been, as everybody knows, watching, you know, trends in RSV going up and, and COVID go, going up, we have also seen um, some trends in uh, influenza going up. Most of the cases, uh, both in Minnesota and nationally, tend to be uh, influenza A. Um, and there are multiple strains out there circulating. Um, our hope is that, you know, uh, while it is uh, moderate right now, um, you know, we're, we're on the watch for, for any strain to take off. And do we have any idea if this year's flu vaccination is a good match? Yes, yes, thank you. I have not, um, they have not uh, shared with me that it is, it is a uh, bad match, um, but we have had a relatively mild flu season to date, although we've seen um, some increase in the numbers uh, of influenza recently. So I think with, if cases go up, uh, that'll, be, that'll be the test to see, to, to look against how people have been vaccinated and whether that's a good match. So I think um, uh, time will tell us more, and hopefully, um, honestly, we, we don't get into uh, that situation. But certainly, um, every year things play out, we look at how well the vaccine has, has met the current strains. I will still say um, we at the Department of Health for all three of um, the respiratory uh, viruses do encourage people to still 
be vaccinated. And that was going to be my question. Is it too late to get vaccinated at this point in the season? No, it's not. It's not too late to get vaccinated. So we would encourage people to get their flu shot, to get their COVID shot. As, as you know, those can be given simultaneously. And then for those um, for whom who are eligible for RSV immunization, uh, we would encourage that as well. Those uh, include the, the youngest Minnesotans, so uh, uh, babies, um, and also the, the older Minnesotans, so particularly Minnesotans um, over the age of 60, particularly those who have comorbidities or, 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 or maybe uh, more frail, to really talk about the RSV uh, vaccine with their physicians. One of the things I wanted to, to also ask you about uh, was the COVID-19 season. For me, yeah. I always just assume if I feel like I have the flu, I have COVID or vice versa. And so just wondering what we're seeing there. Right. I, you know, the, the thing with both COVID and flu is, right, they, they can look like each other. And so what we would encourage people to do is test. The, the, the rapid tests are, are readily available. You can still get uh, free tests. And so we would encourage people to test and even to test as symptoms persist, right, because sometimes that first uh, test can be negative. Um, clearly, um, as I stated, we've been we've been watching it and 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 keeping an eye on it as both uh, locally uh, in Minnesota and with national partners. And over the fall, uh, we saw increases in COVID. Um, there's some signal, um, you know, the holiday season makes everybody a little bit nervous. But still, even with the holiday um, season having a pass, it looks like you know, um, those increases may be leveling off and even uh, perhaps decreasing. But, but we're not ready to totally say that that's what the case is, but we're watching it. And so um, the other good news that I would just share is these levels, even when they were increasing, are lower than we've seen in previous years and, and lower than even last year. So, so that is also reassuring news. All right. And then I guess uh, lastly I'd say, you know, I think it's important, you know, sometimes people get a little bit confused with the different vaccinations, especially yeah. for COVID. What's a good first step if people really aren't sure if they're up to date or where they should be at? Right. So so there are a couple of, of uh, resources um, to, to check your uh, vaccine status. I, I have the app uh, on my phone that lets me check uh, uh, my own vaccine status. But, of course, talking with your uh, health care provider is is the first step. I will just, you know, put a message out to Minnesotans. The vaccine came, the new vaccine, which um, provides greater protection for current variants, came online, you know, at the end of September and was more readily available actually in October. And so if you have not had a COVID vaccine this fall, you are probably due. Um, and so uh, we would, again, encourage people to, to get vaccinated as their best line of protection. And, again, I would encourage people also to test if they're symptomatic, um, particularly um, even if you're having mild symptoms, and not just for you, but for uh, folks who are in your um, household, folks who are in your work environment, um, who actually uh, may have significant uh, health issues, um, should they should they catch uh, COVID, because what we're seeing with the new strain is while um, for most people it is not creating more severe illness, it is more, seems to be more transmissible. And so unfortunately, um, 
um, if it's transmitted to somebody who is has a weaker immune system or other other comorbidities, um, that could lead to significant adverse outcomes. We are still seeing um, deaths from COVID, and so to protect you, your loved ones, uh, the folk you uh, live and work with, we still do uh, encourage everybody to get vaccinated um, and to test. Thanks again to my guest, Minnesota Department of Health Commissioner Brooke Cunningham. More Minnesota Matters after this. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. Minnesota is hosting the 2024 Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament from March 13th to the 17th at Target Center. The Big Ten Vice President of Men's Basketball is Brad Taylor, who recently visited Minneapolis and spoke with Eminem Sports Director Mike Grimm about the big event. We're very excited. I mean, we this is the fifth time we've ever been, you know, different sites. Uh, first time Minneapolis. Uh, first time we've been outside of the Chicago, uh, Chicago or Indiana area since 2018. So bringing our brand to new areas, I mean, it's not really new because Minnesota's here. So especially within our footprint, it's something that's going to be great because we've got Iowa, we've got Wisconsin, we got Minnesota. You got, I mean, I, was, I had to drive from Chicago, so it's not only a five and a half hour drive. So we've got a lot of people that can still drive to the uh, to the event. So we're just hoping that, you know, we, we get a great crowd from everybody coming here. And I know that, you know, work past working with the Final Four, the fans come. And this is a great sports town. And we're hoping that, you know, they get they can take two weeks out of their busy schedules to, one, go to the women's tournament, and next week come to the men's tournament. What, if any, are challenges? Certainly, as you mentioned, Minneapolis has hosted Final Fours before, both men and women, a Super Bowl before, um, national championship hockey events, those kind of things. So it's been, you know, a host of big events. But when it's specific to basketball and it's two straight weeks, and in, on the men's side, it's a new place, there have to be a few challenges that uh, you guys will have to tackle, I suppose. Yeah, I think we were just, you know, we have a, we, we've required a lot of space, you know. So as we, as we uh, try to make an event perfect for our student-athletes, we're trying to make sure we go to buildings that have space. And, and I, I mean, the Target Center is great. Uh, but, you know, just trying to make sure that, hey, we've got rooms for student-athletes, lounges, you know, area for them to eat, area for them to, where their families can come see them because it's really important because, you know, we want to make sure that you're going to have, you're we're bringing in a lot of people into the city and we're bringing, you know, their families as well. So we want to make sure that, I mean, one thing I love about the city is everything's walkable. I mean, you think about all the hotels you got downtown and, you know, I've been, you know, the mayor promised great weather. So, uh, so now they'll be able to go out and, you know, and visit, you know, different areas of the city. We just hope that, you know, with, you know, we're at Tom's Watch Bar right now. It's a great establishment. We just want to make sure that all of our establishments downtown can stay open a little bit later because what we want to do is we want to make sure 
where you know they're able to come enjoy the city as well as enjoy the games inside the Target Center. You think 14 teams over two weeks, the hospitality, fans, families, everybody coming in, and then, as you mentioned, the local folks. For Minnesotans, this is the first chance for a men's tournament. They've been able to have it in their home city, and I would think for Gopher fans, they're thinking, hey, this is a great home court edge. If we show up, our team has a chance to maybe make a run in this thing. So from all of that, um, I suppose the goal is to make it a good experience for everybody involved. Definitely, we want to make we. Our goal is to make our student athletes have a great experience, and then not we kind of extend that because we want the fans to have a great experience. We want the anybody coming to the city and go to our events to have a great experience. And so I think you know we would love to see you know the Gophers are playing very well right now. I went to the game last night when they played Iowa. Unfortunately, they didn't win, but you know you could see the excitement in the area, and I think you know with them playing well as well as they are. We're going to get more fans coming to the games, and you never know. I mean, we've had, um, you know, last year we had a 10 seed that made it to the to the final game and eventually lost uh, our number one seed, Purdue. Um, you know, it's basketball, I mean, it's March Madness. You know, you never know what's going to happen, and I think that, you know, once we get to the tournament, uh, anything can happen, and I'm, I'm excited for all the student athletes to get an opportunity to compete for a championship. And uh, in addition to the 10 seed, the 13 seed, Ohio State made the semis, so you get two double-digit seeds, and I look at the standings right now, and there's a lot of basketball to be played. I think you could see that again. I mean, there is a lot of pretty good basketball teams. Purdue, obviously, is maybe right now in Wisconsin, as we speak, you know, those two are maybe the cream of the crop. But um, anybody after that could make a run, it looks like to me. You're right about that. I mean, we right now, if this team protect our homes, it's going to be a really bundled up records and things like that. Last year, you know, we had, we went to the last uh, week of the seed, weekend of the season, and we didn't know. Only thing we knew was the 14 seed, the 13 seed, and a one seed. Yeah. You know, if Northwestern beat Rutgers to finish as a second seed, if they would have lost, they probably would have been the ninth seed. So there's a lot of parity in our league, and, you know, anybody can win. As you said, you know, Ohio State was a 13 seed, almost advanced to the, uh, to the finals. So anybody can get a run. It, I mean, they're never out. And, you know, it's, and it's hard to play. It's hard to play in the Big Ten. You know, it's hard to go on the road and win. Uh, as you can, I mean, as every, any team, you can ask Ben Coach Johnson, any of the coaches. I mean, they, they love being at home. And so, you know, for him, he gets to be at home this year. So, uh, and he's hoping probably all the fans here want to come out and support. So, uh, so we're excited. And then I think that, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be great, great basketball to see. And certainly uh, Minnesotans here, uh, not just in the cities, but, you know, outstate and all throughout the state. It's a great opportunity to see some high-quality basketball. Hopefully a bunch of gopher games are involved in that. And if not, there's other good basketball. And even if you can't get tickets, and we love everyone too, there's other auxiliary events too that fans can kind of take part in throughout the, the two weeks of this, right? Yeah, I know that we're going to have some – I mean, we, we talked about some programming here. We're going to have a little uh, junior journalism program. We're uh, helping out with the scoreboard uh, for local community uh, area. Um, you know, our staff is doing a great job just to try to have things, some buzzes that are going to be around around the city. And, I mean, I would just start start looking around. If you're in an, in an area, I'm assuming, you know, first of February, things will start popping up. Uh, you know, some more billboards, some uh, some wraps across the city to talk, kind of target the, uh, you know, the, the tournaments coming in. And, you know, here's what, you know, I don't think any other city is going to get a chance. You've got two reigning national players a year, Caitlin Clark on the women's side, Zach Eaton on the men's side. They're going to be in the same city two week, weeks apart. But, I mean, think about that. You know, you could see the best of the best. And hopefully, you know, they got a great shot at trying to win it for the second year in a row. Uh, but that's, a, that's, that's a, a city to have that. That's going to be exciting. That's the vice president of men's basketball for the Big Ten Conference, Brad Taylor, with Eminence Sports Director Mike Grimm. 
That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radal. Have a great week.